those who walk in integrity. Guarding the paths of justice, He preserves the way of His godly ones. Then you will discern righteousness and justice and equity in every good course. For wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will guard you. Understanding will watch over you to deliver you from the way of evil, from the man who speaks perverse things, from those who leave the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, who delight in doing evil and rejoice in perversity of evil, whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways, to deliver you from the strange woman, from the adulteress who flatters with her words. So if you look at what is said, it says that he stores up wisdom and he is a shield to those who walk in integrity. He's a shield if we walk in integrity. That means that he supports us in ways that we hadn't even planned on. And he protects us from things that we hadn't even initially planned on. It says he guards our paths. And then he starts out by saying he will even guard you from the adulterous path. Let me start where students are. I teach a a Bible study class, and and I know some of you, as I look around the room, have been there. That's about 80 Rice students come to this class each week. And where do we begin with students? Do we start talking about what happens in the business world and in the business place? I don't think so, because I don't think that's where they're at. Let me tell you where ethical behavior ought to start. And that's exactly where students' minds normally are consumed. And that's in sexual behavior. I have a series that I've actually put on my website called Scriptural Sexual Ethics that deals with us as individuals and places us in a place are we going to walk in an upright way in each phase of our lives. Are we going to do that, or are we not? And if we look in Luke chapter 1, we see the life of Mary. And it says of Mary in Luke chapter 1, it says, Now in the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called, called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, of the descendants of David, And the virgin's name was Mary. Twice he speaks of her as being a virgin. Virginity is a good thing in God's eyes. It is not a wrong thing. It is a good thing both for men and for women. And we lose something when we think it's not a good thing. And we sacrifice something. And if that's been sacrificed, I challenge you to ask God to forgive you and walk in uprightness from this day. It will bring fruit into your life. That is the beginning. And then God comes through an angel and He speaks many things to Mary. He says to her, you're going to have a son. His name is going to be Jesus. And He's going to have such and such a job. And this is what He's going to do in His life. And you right away see a woman who is seeing that God is beginning to change the course of what she would normally do. He tells Mary what the name of her child is going to be. Well, hey, I thought I'd get to name my child. What his vocation is going to be. 
what he is going to be like. God starts to move things around. And if we keep an eye that's sensitive to the Lord, he will move us into different places and into different ways. We can indeed be led by circumstances. Mary and Joseph were led to Bethlehem because an evil king said there was going to be a census. But God used that to get them in the right place at the right time. If you keep your heart toward the Lord, He can put you in the right place at the right time. And then after He speaks all these things to Mary... Mary's response is, Behold the bondslave of the Lord, be it done to me according to your word. Behold the bondslave of the Lord. It is not a passivity. It is a receptivity to God. It is not, oh well, whatever God wants is going to happen. It is being receptive to the Lord that gets her in the right place and sets the right pattern. If you look at Joseph... Joseph was a man of this enormous ethical standard. It says, Now, in the, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. Think of what has happened here. And then reflect on his behavior. He finds out that this woman who he's about to marry, who's, he's engaged to and is going to marry, is pregnant. Think of what that would be like, men. Think of that, what that would be like. You're engaged to a woman. You know you've had no relations with her. And then you find out she's pregnant. Now what are you going to do? What will your behavior be like? What would you do? Women, what would you do if you're engaged to a man and then you find out that he's impregnated another woman during the engagement? What would you do? Based in the law of Israel, she should have been killed. And he could have had her killed. Not only that, he disgraced her entire family. He disgraced, I'm sorry, she disgraced his entire family by doing this. And instead of saying, I am going to get my pound of flesh, I'm going to see you driven into the ground, it says that Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. He did not want to disgrace her because he was a righteous man. What does righteousness do? It covers the faults of others. Righteousness covers the faults of others. Doesn't seek restitution when restitution should have been given. Didn't seek that. Didn't say, hey, I want my pound of flesh. Now it's my turn. Now it's my day. The, total, the response that we have to people in our lives, in our personal lives, in our workplace, the response that we have of mercy and grace speaks volumes to people. I had a lunch schedule not too long ago with a man. And I went to the restaurant and I waited and I waited and I waited and he never showed up. 
And he was, he's the dean of a, one of the medical centers here in town. And we had had this lunch scheduled. And in fact, I emailed his secretary that morning. She said, we're on. Then when I came back to my office after waiting at the restaurant for 40 minutes and he never showed up, I emailed him. I said, I missed you at the restaurant today. Well, then he emailed back all apologetically that, you know, things came up and, you know, he just forgot about the meeting. And I emailed in response. I said, no problem. I've done it many times myself. There was another individual copied on the letter because he had to then, he was supposed to meet with, with the party afterward. And he said, how did you handle it so graciously? And I said, because I've done it many times myself. And you will find, if you look at yourself, the things that you hold people responsible for and their faults, you have committed those faults many times yourself as well. And if you haven't yet committed them, you will. Many times I've forgotten appointments. Several times I've left people waiting at restaurants. I've been granted mercy, and I can grant mercy. And you generate tremendous good favor with individuals by doing that, when they don't expect it. Joseph demonstrated that, being a righteous man. He didn't seek to have her destroyed. You see that every thought of his was in the other's best interest. What is best for Mary? even though she's done this to me. What is best for her? Let me tell you about scriptural sexual ethics because this is where students are. And if you cannot be upright and ethical in your sexual relationships, you cannot be in your work. You say, oh no, I can bifurcate the two. No problem. Not so. Not so. Scriptural sexual ethics is this. Is this thought, is this word, is this action in the other's best interest? And if it is not, it is not the love of God. Is this thought, is this word, is this action in the other's best interest? And if it is not, it is not the love of God. And one of the things that keeps us from rising into the place that we should be is that we don't know what it is to be a man. We don't know what it is to be a woman. And these things are imaged for us in the Scriptures. For Mary, it was receptivity to God. She was receptive to God and open to God leading in her life. Jesus images for us the model of a man. In Isaiah, in the book of Isaiah, it actually describes something about the way Jesus looks. The way Jesus looked when He was on earth. We, We don't have much indication in the New Testament. But in Isaiah, it actually describes something about the way Jesus looked. You know, I had the good fortune of teaching a Bible study to the Houston Astros. And I wanted to poll them one day. I said, how many of you men feel that you're truly the man God wants you to be? None of them raised their hands. 
They said, I know what you mean. And isn't it interesting that my son keeps your pictures on his wall, thinking that you are real men, but none of you feel that you've risen properly to manhood in the way that God would have you be. And this is where we are. This is where young people are. This is where middle-aged men are. This is where older-aged men are. Searching what does it mean to be a man. And in this, we're going to find a blessed truth about walking in ethical, proper behavior. In Isaiah 53, it says, For he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of parched ground. He had no stately former majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised and we did not esteem him. He had no stately former majesty. You want to know what Jesus looked like? He didn't look like the European men that we see in movies, that Jesus in the movies. He didn't look like that. In fact, Messianic Jewish scholars look at this and they say, Jesus was probably five foot four with crooked teeth. There was nothing in him that was attractive. And I thought that to be a man, I had to be tall and handsome and witty and intelligent and have a woman hanging on each arm, or at least one, and the life of the party. I thought that that's what it meant to be a man. And because of that comes great insecurity. And men, if you've not been there, you're lying. I have no problem standing here and looking at you and knowing that you too have struggled with the same insecurities. And women, that you too have struggled with the same insecurities. Because we are put under a tremendous load in this culture. It says that there was nothing in Jesus that was attractive. And in fact, it speaks of what Jesus even looked like after his scourging. After Pilate had had him beaten. How many of you saw the movie The Passion? Passion of the Christ. Okay. That was a real letdown for me because it didn't show the beating as it should be. The scriptures say in Isaiah 52, verse 14, For as many were astonished at you, my people, so his appearance was marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. His appearance was marred more than any man. In chemistry, what we do to teach our students to respect chemicals as we show them movies of what people look like after chemical accidents. Because you can work with a chemical a hundred times, and the hundred and first time, you work with it in a cavalier manner, and you regret it the rest of your life. And you look at these pictures of these faces of people, and you can't tell if it was a man or a woman or a dog or a horse. That's how marred their faces are. Since Jesus was marred more than any other man, and yet the proclamation about who Jesus was came in that very instant. In John chapter 19, when Jesus was brought out after a scourging, 
It says, Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and a purple robe. And Pilate said to them, Behold the man. This is what a man is. One who is willing to give of himself so for another. This is the image of a man. You want to know, young men, what it is to be a man? Is that my thought, my word, my action is going to be in the other's best interest. This is what it means to model a man. The same so for a woman. Does this thought, does this word, does this action image the love of God, which is in the other's best interest? If it does not, it is not the love of God. And when our thoughts and our words and our actions are in the other's best interest, you know what happens? People really sense it and they know it. Charles Spurgeon says, look at a man when he's lying. Look at him. His face undergoes these great contortions. He wasn't made to do that. God made him differently. You know, I read this report in Science, Science Magazine, about two years ago, where these interrogators, professional interrogators, had to figure out whether people were lying. So all they had, could do was stand back and watch an interrogation take place. They couldn't ask any questions. They had to watch the interrogations. And 17 out of 20 times they were right. They, they knew when the person was lying or when the person was telling the truth. 17 out of 20 times. And the interesting thing about this interrogation is that they had to watch the interrogation take place and it was in a language that they did not speak. Just by the actions of the person being interrogated, they could tell whether the person was lying or not. When our thoughts, when our words, when our actions are in the other's best interest, people know it. And it affects our workplace. It affects our promotions. It affects what people think of us. And when we lie, people know it. They may not be able to articulate it, but they know something's wrong. And they won't trust you if you lie. Remember, there is a great blessing for the upright. And God does great things in their lives. But as we read, He will see to it that the unrighteous are pulled down. And if you don't believe it, test this word. Test it and see. And at the end of your life, you will see that the word is true. That the word is right. In fact, in Proverbs chapter 1, it says, How long, in verse 22, How long, O naive ones, will you love being simple-minded? And scoffers delight themselves in scoffing, and fools hate knowledge. Turn to my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit on you. I will make my words known to you. Because I called to you and you refused, I stretched out my hand and no one paid attention, and you neglected all of my counsel and did not want my reproof, I will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your dread comes, when your dread comes like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you. God says, I will laugh. Go ahead, test this word. See if it be true. But just remember, long after you and me, 
are dead and gone, this word will remain. Remember the blessing that he says. He says he stores up sound wisdom for the upright and he is a shield to those who walk in integrity. I will leave you with that concerning sexual issues. On my website, you can just Google Jim Tour. It'll come up. Look under the audio files under the personal topics section. There's a whole series on scriptural sexual ethics. I would encourage you to go there and to listen to it. It's a six-part series. It will help you. Let me start on, on topic two, personal property. So we covered we covered the sexual realm. This is where students are. I'm not going to start talking about the stock market. It's not where students are. Second topic, personal property. In Luke, Luke chapter 19, Luke chapter 19, verse 8, it says, Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. That was his commitment. I will give to the poor. And I will give back if I have defrauded anyone four times as much. I will give back. If you have a gracious hand and a giving hand, you will have a blessed life. But let me start more detailed. He said, if I've defrauded anyone of anything. When I started my career, got a, a, a Mac SE30 with one megabyte of RAM. It was an amazing computer for its day. One meg. I could run Microsoft Word, no problem, with one meg of memory. Could open multiple programs with one meg of memory. And then my group started to grow a little bit and I got a second computer. I bought a second set of software for that computer. Then my group started to grow more and I bought another computer and another and another set of software and another. There were no site licenses back in those days. And my colleagues said to me, What are you doing buying all those versions of software? You own it, put it on the other computers. I said, I'm not allowed. It says you can only use it on one computer. So you're allowed. So I called up Microsoft and guess what they said? You buy a copy for every computer. That's what they said. So you know what I did? I bought a copy for every computer. And my group grew. And I would have program managers call me up from the Department of Defense and they would say, your grant... We have some extra money. You want it? I said, sure. And I'd get hundreds of thousands of dollars showered upon my research group. And my colleague, who wouldn't buy the versions of software that he needed, had a little metal desk and a little research group and very little funding. I had a secretary, got a big wooden desk, carpeting, I had plenty, plenty. I got tenure after three years. I became a chaired professor after five. And that young man stayed with his little metal desk 
and its pirated versions of software. And I am vigilant about the computers now in my laboratory. If I can buy a site license, I buy it. If I can't, I buy multiple versions. Because Microsoft and its policies have caused me to receive tremendous blessings. If you have pirated software on your computer, you will have an unethical business practice. There is, in, there is no other way If you are dishonest now, you will be dishonest later. If you have versions of music that you have not purchased and are on your iPod, you are violating ethical standards. This is where the rubber meets the road. Do you want to obey God or not? You will be corrupt in your business practices if you do not deal with these issues now. This is where it hits you. In the sexual realm. In the pirating of software realm, dispose of it. And if you have used it, buy a copy of it. I once had a a pair of pliers in my toolbox that had a man's name on it. A guy that I lived with in college. Lived in the same house I did. It was John Seal. He had lots of tools. And I had one of his old cheap pairs of pliers in my toolbox. When I left college, I took that with me in my toolbox. And about eight or ten years later, I was deeply convicted. And I took that pair of pliers, and I wasn't going to send him that old one, and I found out where he lived, and I went out and I bought a really nice insulated pair of pliers, and I sent it to him, along with $20, because I figured that was about fourfold. And I said, I'm sorry. You have pirated software. You have software you didn't pay for. You have music on your iPod. You have music on your computer. Get rid of it. Or buy a copy of it. And you say, well, why buy a copy? I already have a copy. So that you pay your rightful place in it. If you want to do scripturally, pay four times as much. Buy four copies of the same thing. You say, well, why do I have to do that? Ethical behavior starts now. You want to play games? We'll play games, and I'll just come and talk about having ethical behavior when you get in to your job. But it starts now. You're a cheater now, you'll be a cheater then. You're honest now, you'll be honest then. You will receive blessings now and then if you walk uprightly. You will make far more money than all your peers if you walk uprightly. But go ahead. Keep the software, and you will see you'll be just like everybody else. This is what's before us. Personal property. What will we do with it? What will we do? Number three. Schoolwork. My daughter, when we moved to Houston... Attended Second Baptist High School for one year. When she first went, she said, I can't believe this. Everybody's asking me for copies of my homework to look at. And I say to them, how can you do this? You know it's not right. I took her out of that school. I'm not against that school. I still have three other children that went through that school, but my daughter couldn't take it. Put her in a public high school. 
Because at least there she knew black from white, good from bad, that the unbelievers were unabashed unbelievers. The believers weren't, there weren't believers that were, that were saying, go ahead, give me, give me your homework. And now she's graduated from Rice and she's gone on, she's done very well. She's in graduate school overseas. But if you're dishonest with your schoolwork, remember, you will be dishonest in the business place. It is a cancer. It goes with you. You can try to purge that thing, but you'll always carry it with you. And then in the marketplace, it will so come out. If you are dishonest, if you plagiarize, if you take another person's work, that is unethical behavior. And it will lead to your taking money that is not yours in the future. And just remember, God can so work and to so move, have you in the right place at the right time or the wrong place. He can do it. And remember, He will laugh at your end because you are being warned. You're being forewarned. Ethical behavior. It is so easy to talk about the ethical behavior that other people ought to be doing. But how about for us? It starts here. In taxes. You know, I have a Christian accountant. And I tell her, if there is anything you see that looks wrong, let me know. I want to get it fixed. Anything. I would rather pay extra money in income tax than to do something wrong. Because I know God is going to so bless me. I have the highest salary of anyone in my department. And I'm not the oldest. But I know the way God works. You walk uprightly, you are blessed. You walk wrongly, you are cursed. You are cursed with a curse. And I don't need the curses of God. I've got enough trouble in my life. Your taxes. What will you do with your personal income taxes? Will you report everything? My daughters, babysitters, when they were in high school. How much did you make? We're going to report it. I want to know. I want you to learn to walk uprightly. Ah, oh, well, you know, they don't record these things, is it? You know, if you read the form, it says any money that you have made, anything made either legally or illegally, you've got to pay taxes on it. And you know why that's there, to catch people. Anything you make, tips, anything, none of that is exempt. If you think it might be exempt, go ahead and file. And I bet you're going to find out something different. They're not going to give it back. It starts now. The people on Wall Street that you hear about that do these evil things are no different than you and me. They're just in a little bit different place than we are. But they're doing exactly what you and I might do. But the stakes are a little bit higher. And if you do it now, you will do it later. You'll be drawn in with the evil. Deal honestly with your taxes.
in the workplace. These are the patterns that will set you on the right course. In Matthew chapter 24, in Matthew chapter 24, it says in verse 45, Who then is the faithful and sensible slave who his master put in charge of his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that slave who his master finds so doing when he comes. He's speaking about a relationship here between a master and a slave, which is a picture between God and us. But then he says, truly I say to you, he says, says, truly I say to you that he will put him in charge of all his possessions you will be lifted up and exalted in the eyes of this world if you take hold of what I'm telling you today. But I can't force you, and nobody does. I speak directly. I speak emphatically. Because I really care about young people. I invest about 10 hours every week preparing messages for young people. I don't get paid for that but because I really care about them. And you can have a very good life if you follow these principles. A very good life. But it starts now, not later. It starts now. But if that evil slave says in his heart, my master is not coming for a long time, and begins to beat his fellow slaves and eat and drink with drunkards. The master of the slave will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour when he does not know, and he will cut him in pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That can't be a good place. He says he'll assign them a place with hypocrites. This is what we are if we don't get our sexual lives right, our personal property right, our schoolwork right, our taxes right. We are a bunch of stinking hypocrites. He says he's going to assign them a place. Where do the hypocrites dwell? They dwell with the place of the unrighteous slave who beats people. That's where the hypocrites dwell. And remember, your children will see hypocrisy in you long before anyone else. Children see it, instantly see hypocrisy. And they will follow your pattern. He's talking with this man. He says, hey, I got this, this radar detector on my car. It's Christian man. These kids are standing right there. Yeah, I said, well, why do you have that? He says, you know, you don't get caught with that thing. Well, I watched his kids over ten years. They grew up wanting radar detectors too. They got caught all the time too. They're always conniving just as he was conniving. If you walk like a hypocrite, your children will likewise walk in hypocrisy. You walk like a hypocrite, your spouse will walk in hypocrisy. You can't have it both ways. 
Let's pray. Father, I thank You for the truth of Your Word. And Father, I know what You've done in my life. I know the blessings that You have poured out that I do not deserve. Blessing upon blessing. Father, I know that this Word has touched some of the young people here. Lord, I pray that You so work and move in their lives and in their hearts to walk according to this Word. Father, I know that there's some young men and young women who don't know what it means to be a man or a woman. And I pray, Lord, that You strengthen them up and You cause them to walk uprightly in these relationships and You so give them victory. Father, I pray for those who were convicted and touched concerning software, concerning music, that they would clean up their lives and so see Your blessing. For those that heard this, this message about tax and they would go back and pay the old taxes that they didn't pay in the past. Go and file and pay the penalties and see Your hand of blessing in their lives. Father, to keep them from being assigned to that place with hypocrites. God, may Your mercy be there. And Lord, I thank You that Your Word says that we are to examine ourselves. And if we examine ourselves, we are not judged with the world. But nor are we disciplined by God because we've examined ourselves and dealt with it. Father, I pray that each young person here would examine their own lives and deal with these things, these skeletons in the closet that keep kicking the door open in their lives, but are going to cause them to have miserable lives where wisdom will laugh at them. Father, I pray that You draw them into that right place. And Father, for those here that don't know You, Lord, I pray that they would come to know You because there is no victory to be able to accomplish this without the Holy Spirit in the heart. Draw them to Yourself. In the name of Jesus, I offer this to You, O Lord. Amen.